Good evening, church. Great to be here. Beginning tonight and extending to and through Easter, we're going to start a new series here on Wednesday night. I've entitled this series, Is Jesus Easy to Find? Is Jesus Easy to Find? And those of you, those, those of you who have been here for a moment and those who have walked with me for a moment know that this is rapidly becoming a life message for me. Not only as God is expressed through our life, but how God gets expressed through our corporate expression. That we have a lot of things that we do well here at Grace Covenant Church. I like to think we do well. Certainly maybe not as good as someone else that you can download or you can you know, look at from Instagram or podcast or whatever. But, you know, we, we, got, a, we got a guy that for the most, most Sundays, he, he talked good. We've got a more than competent worship ministry here. We've got a fairly decent building that keeps the rain off. And we do one or two things at a, at a reasonably competent level here at Grace Covenant Church. But the very first one of the three E's that distinguish us as a people at Grace Covenant Church, and the three E's, as you know, that distinguish our mission here is to encounter Christ, experience community, and extend the kingdom. But the very first one, and it's first because it's there in priority order, is to experience Christ. Encounter Christ. I wrote them, and I can't remember them. That's what happens when you get, never mind. But if people, if people walk in here and they don't have an encounter with God, what are we doing? As people interact with you and with me, maybe we've got all of our great apologetical arguments ready to just shoot down just the vanity of their own thought and try to argue them into the kingdom. But the real question is, is Jesus easy to find in your life and in mine? Pastor Brad and myself and our wives and a bunch of other folk, and I don't know if he shared this on Sunday, but we just got back from Israel. And speaking of divine encounters, I mean, there is the land of divine encounter. And by the way, Parenthetically, March 29th and 30th, you should be at this conference. Let, let, me, let me tell you, 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 need, you need to be there. This is going to be, this is gonna be a, a tremendous moment, and it's right here in your backyard. But returning from Israel, this is the place where heaven met earth. There at the excavation of Shiloh, where the, where, where the tabernacle set uninterrupted for almost 400 years. Sacrifices were made. God came down. Traveling around Nazareth and Bethlehem and Jerusalem, going to the spot of the tomb. Let me just tell you, Jesus was hard to find. Generations and centuries of memorializing and building above and the crusaders built this and the catholics built this and then the romans built this and somewhere 20 30 50 feet under there might be the spot and don't hear any cynicism in what i'm saying 
But Jesus was not easy to find in the Holy Land. The God of Abraham, Isaac, Moses, the convergence of Scripture, history, geography, powerful, rich, truly a life-changing experience. And yet Jesus was difficult to find, even in the midst of all of that. And since the very beginning, folks have been missing God. The Jews, for all of their understanding of Scripture and history and the richness of, of that heritage and that inheritance, still missing Jesus. God in the flesh and Jesus standing there before the Pharisees, John chapter 5. Jesus saying, boys, you, thank you for reading your Bible every day. It's wonderful. And you diligently study the scriptures because you think that by them you possess eternal life. And yet you're missing it. Because these are the very scriptures that talk about me. I'm standing here and yet you refuse to come to me for that life. They've got their theology down. These are, the, these are the Bible scholars of the day, righteous by all the jots and tittles of the law, and yet missing Jesus. And yet, those around him missed him as well. Those closest to him, his own family. The disciples, the road to Emmaus, didn't recognize him. At the tomb, nobody got him until Mary heard his voice and recognized it wasn't the gardener. It was him. Even those closest to him most often missed him. Why is that? You know, we can look at all of the different reasons and what the devil does the author of evil, et cetera, and so forth, chucked out of heaven for its pride, messing with us until a prescribed end in Revelation where he'll be cast into the abyss once and for all. But could I submit to you that the real Genesis, excuse the pun, of the devil's work we find recorded in that book? From the very beginning, and it wasn't just the lie about what God said or didn't say. The real essence of the lie was the goodness of God. Is this really who this God is? And that is the beginning of every lie stems off of the first one that came from that ancient serpent. And it wasn't, did you hear right? Are you sure that's what he said? But the implication was, he's not a good God. It was an attack on the nature, the character, and the goodness of who God was. And it's out of that lie that all of the why questions emanate from humankind. It starts right there. And could I submit to you that that distortion, that deception has continued through the ages. 
2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4 says that the God of this age has blinded, has blinded the minds of the unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Many times we think the reason that people have a hard time finding Jesus is that they're just ignorant. And if we can just bring them into enough knowledge, then certainly we can talk them into it. But it's not a cognitive problem. It's not just an issue of ignorance. It's a problem of deception. It's a spiritual problem at its very root that the enemy is at work blinding those so that they cannot see. Isaiah chapter 9 verse 2 says the people walking in darkness have what? Seen a great light. And on those living in the land of the shadow of death, the light has dawned. Deception, perception, finding Jesus, a product of who we want him to be. Some construct of God that we have in our minds, and we all have one. We really do. We have this idea of what God looks like and WWJD, what would Jesus do? Or WWJS, what would Jesus say? And yet I got to tell you, I think we'd be real surprised. And yes, I think many of us would probably be a bit offended. God ever offended you? He offends me all the time. Because God doesn't think the way I think. God doesn't do what I would do in that situation. Because nobody's been struck dead in traffic yet. Glad I'm not God. He said, I am too. But the reality is, perception. We've got this concept of who we want God to be. Communication. Something gets lost in those words that we're not hearing right. Yet Job 33 says that God is always speaking, though man may not perceive it. And yet many times something gets lost in translation, does it not? Missing Jesus. And then the identification I don't know about you, but most of my technology now has what's called two-part authentication. So if you try to do something on your your computer, then it it, it wants to text your phone, then you have to turn around and you have to put the code in from the phone to the computer. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Hope you have that. It's pretty cool, actually, as long as you don't have to go downstairs and get your phone. But yet God has authenticated himself in at least two parts one is external Romans chapter 1 that that what can be known about God can be seen from that which what God has what made God reveals himself through his creation God is not the creation he's the creator but yet there's a there's a revelatory aspect that we can see the nature and the character of God through the creation an external authentication, but then there's an internal authentication that by his spirit, he moves on the inside of us. Galatians chapter four, verse six 
says, your sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. The spirit who calls out what? Abba, Father. The spirit testifies with our spirit, Romans 8, that we are what? God's children. That two-part authentication. And over this next eight weeks, we're going to be unpacking, is Jesus easy to find? To look at some of the factors whereby which maybe God has gotten obscure for you. Maybe somehow Jesus is obscured from your vision. And let me say that finding Jesus, quote unquote, and I'll talk about that in a moment, it's not a one-time event. So many times we think that we come down here and we feel bad for a moment. We raise our hands and somebody gives us the Bible and we pray a prayer and basically we get stamped and we're good. Could I submit to you that's a great first step, but it's the first of millions. It's catalytic to the next one. And the understanding of what we call salvation is something that is ongoing. Don't have time to talk about that much. And can I submit to you that I'm not just talking about getting your, getting your ticket punched so that you, quote, get to heaven. But what I'm talking about is that this, this ongoing salvation, this ongoing revelation of all that this salvation entails for you and for me, I believe it's going to continue throughout eternity. I'm one of these guys that, that believes that, yes, we'll get to heaven when we see him, we'll be like him, but I think it will take the rest of eternity, whatever that means, for us to continue to know who this God really is. I think it's going to be a full-time pursuit. Totally convinced of that. So let me give you some thoughts by way of introduction to this series about, is Jesus easy to find? Have you ever gone into a room and you were going in there looking for something and you got in there and then forgot what it was you were looking for? Now, I stand here as living testimony of sowing and reaping, of the terrible things I've said about my ancient friend, Duke Bendix. Because now I am becoming the ancient of days as well. And these things are happening to me on an increasing basis. My wife and I are kind of at this place now where we get out of the car and you immediately look for ice and begin to call out to one another, honey, be careful. This. And, and we'll be going into a room and then say, what did I come in here for? And then ask her, like she's supposed to know what I went into the room. Because we're not even sure what it is anymore that drove us into that place. Thank goodness we're still getting some exercise looking. <laughs> but it's amazing that until you can identify what it is, you will never find it. That's why it says in Matthew 7, it says, Ask and it will be given. Seek, you'll find. Knock, the door will be open. You know this. And it says, everyone who asks receives. He who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, the door will be opened. And yet as much as there's a promise there, there has to be something purposeful. That we may have to move some things aside to find the it 
of what brought us into that room to begin with. Oh, we can knock on the door and the door will open, but once we go through the door, why am I here? Where you're here because you were in pain and you didn't want to be anymore. Okay. Were you here because you don't want to go to hell? Okay. But we need to understand that the primary reason that that door was open to us so that we could find Jesus and not just to find a promise, not just to find healing, not just to get a gift or get a bill paid. It was to do what? Find him. This is why some people that knock on that door and it opens, it's like they're disappointed. I thought this is where the money was. I thought this is where the healing was. I thought, I thought this was the door to the promises that I've been reading about and has been preached to me. You mean it's just a throne? Let me just tell you, the two words that should never be used together in the same sentence, in the same proximity, and that's just Jesus. Those two words should never be used together. I promise you in heaven, just Jesus is not happening as worship is happening right now. Wow. But it begs the question, what is obscuring us from finding it? What's obscuring us? Tonight begins the beginning of what's known as Lent, the Lenten season. And Lent is an observance in the historical church that it begins, in this case, 46 days prior to Easter. 40 days and six Sundays, six feast days. So 46 days. The word Lent comes from a Greek, or it comes from the Greek word that literally means 40 or 40th. And on this particular Wednesday, it's known as Ash Wednesday. Now, those of you that perhaps don't have a church tradition, this may be brand new information for you, so just hang on for a moment. But in some of the traditions of the church, the palms that were used at Palm Sunday the year prior were saved, burned, and a priest would put a cross in ashes on the forehead. And you say, that's just really weird. Well, a lot of people walk in here on Sundays and see your hands up and hear you speaking in other languages, and they think you're pretty weird too, so... Just, just hang on for a second here. So 40. And it's very, very interesting. And Pastor Duke actually sent me an interesting article today that a pastor was breaking down the fullness of what this Lenten season is intended to portray. First of all, it reminds us of our past. As a matter of fact, today is a day that is historically marked by repentance. We're going to conclude our service tonight over the table, communion. Because let me tell you, any encounter, any divine encounter we ever want to have with God, any time that we want to, if you wish, find Jesus, it's going to begin with you repenting. And let me just tell you, I don't care how cleaned up you think you get, it's always going to begin with your repentance. And if you look at the great accounts in Scripture of those that had a moment with God or an angel of God, an appearance of some divine encounter, they were wondering whether they would live through it. The prophet said, I'm ruined. 
I'm a man of unclean lips living among unclean people. And he was wondering, would he survive the encounter? I tell you, I want to I live my life in such a way that that holy fear continues to accompany my life. Man, I appreciate being a friend of God. It's wonderful. But I got to tell you, sometimes we substituted God being our buddy and our pal and our lover and all of this contemporary language for the awesome, transcendent, eternal, powerful God of all creation. Repentance is always the right place to start. And Ash Wednesday starts this build up to Resurrection Sunday, it begins there. But in present, Colossians 2.6 says, as you have received Christ as Lord, continue to live in him. As one pastor put it, the way in is the way on. You know, it's amazing that we think that somehow this is just where we get started. Let me just tell you, It is by means of the blood, not just that we come in, it's the way we stay in. It is a way of life. And then the future. You know, it's amazing how many holy days that we can celebrate and we kind of miss it. We can have Thanksgiving without the thanks. We can have Christmas without Jesus. And and, and we, we, we don't want to miss that what this is about is about the future. It's about resurrection. That all of the stuff leading up to it, everything leading up to that Holy Week, that Passion Week. Just a week or 10 days ago, we were walking the Via Della Rosa, that, that last passageway where Jesus carried his cross to Golgotha. But it was all about resurrection. In the early church, that was the buzz. It was about resurrection. And not just about one guy being resurrected. This was what the early church was talking about. Was, we're going to get resurrected. We're we're not just going in that grave and staying there, but the same way he came out, we're coming out. This was the buzz in the early church. Not, 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 you know, how, how great the buildings are or not how many small groups we've got. Or This was not the buzz in the church. It was we're going to be resurrected. They were always pointed to something out there. And it's this six weeks of Lent where we have the opportunity to move aside what's gotten in the way. It's why... It's a time of fasting. It's a time that many people take this, this six-week period of time to set apart, set aside, maybe, maybe getting off of social media, stop watching television or, or something whereby which God comes into clear of you. It's what I call a paradox in practice. is when we lose to gain, we decrease to increase. I believe the six weeks of Lent can do something in your life. I believe it can do something in the life of this church if we will embrace the opportunity. But then we move to priority. 
Proverbs 8, 17 says, I love those who love me and those who seek me find me. But we move over and we look in Jeremiah, the 29th chapter, and not the one passage that we all know, Jeremiah 19, if my people will humble themselves and pray. But if we back up a few verses, it says this, you will seek me and find me, you will seek me. And then he qualifies a statement, when you seek me with all your heart. He ramps it up. Not just you'll seek me when the waves start engulfing your boat. You'll seek me when the doctors give up and use words like stage four. But it says when you seek me with all your heart. And God knows how diffracted our affections can get. Distractions, diffractions, deception, this, that's sort of a process, progress. And God knew from the very beginning, this is going to be a problem for folk. That's why God said as, as Israel was, was, was traversing through these other nations, don't pick up their habits, don't intermarry, don't follow after other gods when you're there. Because he knew, wow, that's really cool. He knew how distracted, how prone to it that we really are. It's why coming out of the box, when he had 10 commandments, the very first one, what was it? Thou shalt have, come on, no other gods. Why did he start with that? Because he was in, God's insecure? Because God is some divine narcissist? No. He knew what a challenge it was going to be for you and for me to have all of this stuff out there Vying for and competing, not just for our attention, but for our affection. He understood this. That's why he says in Matthew 6, 32, seek first his kingdom. There's priority right there. And you can't seek a kingdom without a king. It's interesting, folks try. They want all the benefits of the kingdom. Righteousness, peace, and joy. And, I mean, they're, they're, bo- they're borrowing everything from the Sermon on the Mount, but the, the very nature of a kingdom is a king. You can't have the principles of the kingdom without the person of the king. And in this particular case, it happens to be Jesus. Is Jesus easy to find? Position, situation, location. We look for something, and it's not where it belongs. They have little gizmos and gadgets now that you can attach to your keys, and you can track with your cell phone. But that wouldn't help me because I lose my cell phone. So I'm not sure how that is really supposed to work. So, I mean, it's not technology that is of no use to me whatsoever, quite frankly. But we lose something when it gets out of place or it gets out of its normal position. Correct? Correct? Well, this is where I left it. This is where it's supposed to be. We do the same thing with God many times. God, this is where you're supposed to be. You're out of position. And yet if something is out of place, many times what we have to do, we have to get out of position to go find it. I mean, it's like, ever heard the expression, well, it was in the last place that I looked, you think? Because if it was in the first place that you looked and you kept looking, you're an idiot. 
But many times if something is out of place or out of position, you've got to, many times it's fallen down. Stay with me. What we've got to do is we've got to get low to go look for it. And it's not that God is low, but God is wanting us to get down here and get low. The Bible calls it humility. And this is a position that attracts God to humanity is humility. And here's the promise, ladies and gentlemen. You can either humble yourself or God will humble you. And I can say that with a big smile on my face because that's just a stone fact. Because no flesh is going to glory in his presence. It's not going to happen. We're not going to get to heaven and saying, yeah, baby, was in the right church, made a good decision when I was 11. Woo, look at me. Ain't going to be none of that going on. Hate to tell you, but the angels are not going to be looking and worshiping over you. Because they are facing one direction, and it's not you. (laughs) Somebody needs to tell you. But humility, we need to get low. Daniel 10, 12. Don't be afraid, Daniel, since the first day that you set your mind to gain understanding and to do what? Humble yourself before your gods. Before your God. Your words were heard and I have come in response to them. And it wasn't just that Daniel had set his mind to understanding, but Daniel had humbled himself. Philippians 2, Jesus being found in the appearance as a man humbled himself and became obedient to death. And what happened? God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above all names. But what was prerequisite to that? Jesus setting the example by humbling himself. And let me tell you, however humble that you think you might be, however humbled by circumstances that you think you might have been or maybe you currently think that you're in that spot, let me just tell you, none of you have hung naked on a cross. So whatever we think that we've endured, we're experiencing what's happened to us in our past. Whatever our story is, let me just tell you, it's nothing compared to what your Savior did on your behalf. Doesn't compare. Don't try. That's why it says in James 4.10, humble yourselves before the Lord. What does it say? He will lift you up. And then position. So we find God, we have to get in these positions, and then we find God in the midst of our situations or storms. How many times the focus of our intercession is God just... Don't let me get in a storm or get me out of this storm rather than God reveal yourself in the midst of this storm. Let me tell you, you're going to believe something very deeply about the sovereignty of God. Either he's in control of this thing or he's not. And that every situation in life, the devil never surprises God. You know a word you'll never hear come off of God's lips? Whoops. It doesn't work. There's no whoops with God. He doesn't miss anything. And in as much as we find Jesus positionally, we find him situationally as well. 
in the boat. The storm still came. Jesus was right there in the boat, and yet the waves still came up and threatened the boat and everybody in there. Now, yes, the disciples said, you think we ought to wake him up? Yeah, I think so. But I wonder how long that in fear they faced those waves before they realized he's only 16 feet away. He's right there. Situationally, he's there. And here's another paradox, is location. Isaiah 45, 15 says, Truly you are a God who hides himself. Now, why would God do that? Why would God hide himself? It's very simple. To see if we will continue to find him. You know, many times we think that finding God, one, is something we initiated. Let me break it down for you. You didn't initiate it. He did. I found God. God was never lost. God's always known who he is and where he is. And yet, this idea that you found God, no, 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 no. God found you. And the process, yes, it begins. God found you. Then he empowered and enabled you to, quote, find him. But then the process continues. And so what happens here is that the, 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 the whole thing gets switched around in that it begins by God finding us. And then God says, now it's on you, buddy. Then we spend the rest of our lives finding him. And that somewhere we, we move over to being, quote, a disciple and we wonder, why won't God chase me down the way he did in the beginning? It's not how it works, ladies and gentlemen. The expectation is you come find me. Some of you have heard me tell this story years ago. In a moment, particular situational stress in my life, sweet presence of God, God took off. I wasn't any more of a knucklehead than, than before, but God just left. And about six weeks later, he showed back up. And of course, my first question was, where have you been? And he said, wrong question. He said, the next time I move, you come find me. Don't wait for me to come back. This was almost three decades ago. And I've never forgotten that lesson since. I just don't experience the presence of God in my life, Pastor Jim. Go find him. Go find him. Because he will hide himself from us many times to find out. Is there enough passion? Is there enough worship? Not just being driven there by situation and circumstance, but is there enough relationship that we're going to pursue him? We want a divine encounter. Boom, wonderful then position yourself for a divine encounter. Then lastly, I've just got to stop, is Revelation. Some reading I was doing this week that revelation always brings responsibility. By keeping revelation from those without hunger, God protects them from certain failure to carry the responsibility it would lay on them. Yet he doesn't conceal from us, he conceals for us. 
This passage in Proverbs 25, 2, it says, It's the glory of kings to search out a matter. Do you realize that part of our kingship and priesthood is that God wants to reveal mysteries to you and me? To reveal mysteries. Not just where the stock market's going tomorrow. Not just what's going to happen next in the nations. But to reveal mysteries about who he is. It's part of our kingship. It's part of our priesthood that God has for us. Francis Chan says, our, God is, our, our job is to re- reveal God to people. I love that. He doesn't say it's our job to get people saved. It's not our job to, quote, get people right with God. It says, our job is to reveal God to people. He is present in his word, fellowship, communion, prayer. We just just need to make sure, Francis Chan again, that it's really God that we're putting on display. And I spoke about that earlier this year, about the integrity of the wine coming in and out of our wineskin. What are we putting on display? Is Jesus easy to find, so to speak? found yes but listen to me saints we keep on finding it doesn't stop and over these next eight weeks we're going to explore this together a number of tremendous presenters but we're going to talk about is jesus finding jesus by his spirit in the gospels finding jesus we find the father We find Jesus in us, the exchange life. Jesus in us, fruit. Finding Jesus alive and then finding Jesus alone, no other gods. It's going to be a tremendous series. And my prayer for for you individually and my prayer for us as a church, particularly sandwiched right in the midst of this, is this conference entitled Divine Encounters. I just tell you, I think that God is wanting to set something up for us here. And I want to encourage you, come on Wednesday nights. Come expectant. Bring somebody. And let's find Jesus afresh. Amen.